Staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We've now completed the election. We've completed the count. We've completed the recount. Uh, and it's time for Governor Scott to assume the duties. The president has said there's no Russia collusion. Uh, and, and he's also said that he's complying. And he is with his attorneys. President Trump is not going to fire Mueller. Mueller is going to be allowed to do his job. It's very important to note that the people who promised they were going to frog march Donald Trump out of the White House because of Russia collusion two years ago are now belly aching about something else. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the program. Yeah, Kellyanne Conway. I love her straight no chaser takes on the way people perceive her boss. Um, it's amazing. It's it's pretty amazing. So what do we have today on the show? Well, of course, we're going to get into a little bit of A.G. Whitaker. He's acting Attorney General Whitaker and uh, the Mueller investigation with Gail Trotter, who is an attorney, columnist and political analyst. She's a fantastic guest. She's going to be on with us today to discuss the kind of legal aspects and ramifications. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Don't play one on TV. But I greatly respect those who practice law, especially those on the right side of the political spectrum who can bring this analysis to us on the show. So we're going to be greatly appreciating her coming on. And we're going to talk about Acosta's hard pass and the the stunt they've been able to pull off to convince this judge that somehow one specific person has a right to be in the White House as opposed to unfettered access by the press, which CNN already enjoys because they are hard pass holders to the tune of 50. Yeah, they have 50 hard passes. And I don't understand why the judge didn't take that into consideration. Why is Jim Acosta specifically why does he have a right to be in the White House? Because it, it, it brings up the question, why don't I have a right to be there? I am an American citizen. I am a member of uh, the press corps. Why don't I have a right to be there? It's a really interesting phenomenon that we're experiencing here. So, uh, yeah, we've got that going on. And then, of course, um, former CNN legend Larry King has actually weighed in on what he thinks about what's going on there. Now, I got, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it. I really, really felt a sense of anger this morning when I found out that Jim Acosta had the right to be in the White House and that he has to be given his White House press pass back. Now, I don't think this is going to hold. Um, They're saying he has to have it back while they adjudicate the case, but it still sets a horrible precedent. And there have to be rules of conduct for anyone who's going to be in any space. Like, I can't go to my workplace down to American Family Radio and behave in any way that I want. I can't go into the office building and accost the person who is in charge of the whole, uh, you know, the whole show. Like, and I don't mean my program, but the whole of the building there. I can't just run around in there and do whatever I want. There are rules of conduct that I have to uh, abide by. And some of it is just common decency that it's not anything that's written down anywhere. And some of it's actual things that are in my contract. Now, this is not a contractual relationship between Jim Acosta and the White House. There's, there's so much more to this than just, hey, I'm Jim Acosta. I have a right to be here. But it sets a horrible precedent. Imagine what we're teaching teenagers and young professionals all across the country who up to this moment have with refrained and withheld their own desire to yell and speak out of turn to uh, to kind of rush into spaces to disrespect public officials or those who are in authority 
Um, we, you guys all know I, that I'm the biggest consent of the governed chick you're going to find this side of the Rockies. Like, I am that person. I believe the president is our employee and every one of the, the rest of them. But there is something outrageous about saying because the president works for the people of the United States, I can stand up. I can hog the microphone. I can yell at him. I can rudely debate him in a forum where this is not a presidential debate. It's not a debate of any kind. It is a press conference where everyone there is there at the leisure of the White House and the White House press White House correspondents, you know, people that it's a relationship, but there is just not any reason. There is no justification for the type of rude behavior we've seen from Jim Acosta, where he has demanded that Sarah Huckabee Sanders repeat after him. You've, you guys have seen it. it is, none of these things are new to you. If you pay any attention at all, you know that he has routinely told Sarah Huckabee Sanders, how dare you or don't you feel like you should say right now? And then he'll give her a sentence to say. And if she doesn't repeat it, he'll just keep pushing back. It's so argumentative, so unprofessional, so rude. It's worse than the treatment that people get when a seasoned attorney says permission to treat this as a hostile witness. Even attorneys who are in hostile witness mode don't go at people the way Jim Acosta goes at Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the way he went at the president of the United States. And so there's a sense of shame, but there's also a sense of... A, like, where are the other journalists yelling out to, to separate themselves off? You guys have all seen this. I mean, it's, it's, I've had it happen to me where when that whole thing with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch was going on, I had certain people in my life who they really needed to make sure that people knew that they weren't a, they, they weren't a part of this thing. I was innocent. I was being slandered in public. And I had people who were pretty openly saying, well, I don't believe in everything she believes in. In other words, if she's going down... You know, she's going to go down on her own. I'm not a part of that flaming vessel. Now, obviously, I don't, if that's the way you feel, please be open about it. Then I know you're not on my corner. I know you're not a friend. I actually enjoy it when people show me their real face. I prefer it. I hate it when I've spent time with someone and I've thought that they were, if not a friend, just a cordial acquaintance, only to find out later that they hate my guts. I prefer the open hatred and the truth. So in, in that way, Jim Acosta is totally above board, but there still has to be a limit to what you as a decent person would permit yourself to engage in. And he doesn't seem to have a limit, so he needs external limits placed upon him. And that is what the revocation of his hard pass was about. Well, really, it was a suspension. Remember, they didn't revoke it. They, they suspended it. So I don't understand this judge's ruling. I don't. There is, there is no justification for saying he is owed a place within the White House briefing room. It would serve him right if they didn't have another briefing until he was permanently revoked. It would also serve him right if they stationed two armed Capitol Police officers near him at all times, just in case he decides to jump froggy and not relinquish his opportunity to answer a question. It would also serve him right if CNN, the entire CNN press group, were removed from the first five rows that were placed on the back row so that if they want to ask a question, if they raise their hand and take the secondary and tertiary treatment that most journalists get, because the first two rows are reserved for these quote unquote major news agencies, which is in and of itself, again, we're deferring to people who've already been there, who've been in the room, people who have enough money to buy the spaces, people who have enough money that they don't feel like they're accountable to the actual individuals who are running the press briefing. 
their guests in that space. And I know people are, are currently leftists are saying, well, it's the people's house and Trump doesn't even have a right to be there. Actually, he's a duly elected president of the United States and his representatives, namely Sarah Huckabee Sanders and uh, Hogan Gidley and the others, they do have a right to be in that space. They've been sent there by the people of the United States. Whether you voted for Trump or not, it's the same as when I didn't want to see Barack Obama up there um, uh, Pakistan and, you know, slow jamming the news at night, treating the presidency as if it was some elaborate uh, pathway to celebrity. But we still had that going on. No one said that he didn't have a right to be in that house. So this is, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand this ruling. And maybe later in a couple of weeks, whenever everything is adjudicated, it will become clear why the, the judge made this decision. But this guy is, yes, you heard it right, a Trump appointee, and he let this happen. I, it's a, I, I'm sorry, it's just disturbing. It's totally disturbing. So we're going to get to our daily confession in just a sec. We're going to kind of flip it. Let's finish out this conversation. I want to l- listen to this. Larry King who he's never been known for pulling punches or mincing words. He was in an interview with uh, Law and Crime. They have this new, like, interview show that they do. It's over at Media Matters. No, not Media Matters. Mediaite. Mediaite.com. And it's it's a whole new thing that they've launched over there. Mr. Abrams launched this thing so that they could have full news coverage. It's still pretty lefty, but they've been doing some interesting videos, and this was one of them. So you've got uh, the Law and Crime blog and and TV guy interviewing Larry King and they're in person at a table seated together chatting and Larry King was kind of he like he was he was really easygoing and he was really criticizing his former employer and it has to be a letdown for him I'll just say this it has to be a letdown for Larry King and here's why because Larry King was a part of CNN back when it was the glory days back when if there was any breaking news internationally you saw it on CNN if there was anything that was worthy of reporting stateside or around the globe, it was CNN who had a person on the ground reporting it to you. Bombs blowing up in the background, people getting hauled away in handcuffs, ground shaking, hurricane winds going sideways. The reporter on the spot was from CNN. And they were not only well-respected, but I, I felt a sense of gratitude towards them back in those days because they did such great reporting. I didn't know any better, obviously, because that was the beginning of cable news. And that was our expectation. The bar was set high by what was then cable news network, CNN, the James Earl Jones CNN. Listen to Larry King talk about them not being a news work now. It's number two. The terrible part to me is after all those years at CNN and now is um, to see CNN has become, as is Fox and MSNBC, Trump networks. There's the anti-Trump network, the partially anti-Trump network, and the pro-Trump network. But they're not news networks. They're not news networks. They do pundits. This, a, a typical CNN show is eight guests. He had opinion, he has opinion, he has opinion. Like, I was watching one day and there was terrible storms in the east. It wasn't a hurricane, but there's really bad weather in the east. Roads were clogged. And I had to wait till the CBS News at 6.30 to see that story. So they stopped doing news. My definition is a news organization leads. I've always worked under that premise that a news organization leads the news, doesn't follow the news, if you want. And so, unlike opinion shows, of which this is one, um, where we see what's going on and 
We report on that. We, we talk about it. We interview people about it. We analyze and dissect what is happening in this country, the news, the culture, the politics, the, the Christian worldview. We comment on that. We provide insight on those things. Not the same as what you're expecting when you tune into CNN. And when he says, you know, each hour is basically eight opinion guests and all of them are anti-Trump, even the ones who are Republicans. And if you go on there and you're not anti-Trump, as I've done many times in the past, I'm not even given a chance to express the anti-Trump perspective without then being personally attacked for almost anything. Honestly, it's not even legitimate attacks. It's just, well, what you're saying isn't true, you know, which it's easily proven whether or not I'm telling the truth. Well, you're just saying that because you're in the sunken place. That that's that's what a CNN contributor said to me. It's sad you're in the sunken place. Now, if you are sitting in the audience right now and you just heard me say sunken place and you have no idea what it is, we were in the same boat up until I actually knew what it was about 6 months before she said it to me. So if you're not someone who normally deals in the the vernacular, who regularly trades in shibboleths and uh, you kind of regionally specific put downs. Um, in other words, you don't speak slang. Then we're the same folk. We can link arms. We, we're, we're into speaking good English. But you are not the target audience for CNN. CNN's target audience is people who regularly say stuff like that and understand it and want to see guests put each other down, want to see sexual innuendo and the meanest kinds of low base insults lobbed at not just guests on the program, but also at the president. And for that to be done to you on a regular basis. And then when they invite you back, you're supposed to say, "Mm, thank you, ma'am. May I have another? Yes. May I come back on and allow one of your guests to say I'm in a sunken place? I'd love to hear someone insult me in that way. Yeah. Because it takes a lot of time to do one of those hits. You know, you're on for seven minutes or maybe they have you on for two segments. But, you know, depends on what their segment is and what they want you on for. You might sit there. You might be on in the first segment. Then you might wait for 40 minutes and be on in the last segment. So you're on the actual television for six, eight minutes. And you get there. Just bear with me here. You're there for a whole hour. You're on TV for maybe eight minutes. And the whole time you've been on, you've been insulted. Literally told off by strangers, people who don't even appreciate good English, college-educated folks. That's CNN. Now, I know he was ripping into Fox, too, and that's his own opinion. He's welcome to it. But you don't hear people getting routinely, like, insulted and using slang on on Fox News. You just don't. All right. We are going to be right back with Gail Trotter right after this. Every day in preborn centers across the country, young women in crisis find refuge. Here's Roxy, nurse director for preborn at the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Southern California. A lot of them come to us and they feel rejected, they feel alone, they're in a crisis situation, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to start. We believe that sharing the compassionate love of Jesus Christ is what really makes what we do work. Through love and compassion, Young women facing tough situations get to meet Jesus Christ and their unborn baby on ultrasound. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies' lives that were spared. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. 
That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. Some time ago, Karen and I were at a dinner party. As we were leaving the party, a couple who lived near us said that they had gotten lost on their way to this home. They wanted to follow us back to our community. I said, it's a little tricky coming out of here, and there's a lot of traffic, so stay close to us. As we were driving, however, they fell further and further behind. Traffic started getting in between us, and unfortunately, they got lost again. That reminds me, we need to stay close to the one we're following, or we too will get lost. Sometimes we're following too far behind the Lord, and traffic is getting in between us. How we respond to God's leading in our lives makes all the difference. There's a very important word for us in Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Down to verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. When we're on mission with God, on God's mission, we need to keep in mind two very important things. Number one, follow. Go where he is leading. Get it in gear. Then secondly, consecrate yourself. Make sure your life is clean. Be who God has called you to be. God wants to use clean, prepared vessels. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Stay close to the one you're following or you'll get lost. In the words of Henry Blackaby, you can't go with God and stay where you are. Stay close to God and go where He leads. Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Okay, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for being here today. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show, Gail Trotter, attorney, columnist, and political analyst. Gail, thank you for joining in. Yes, so great to be with you. All right, let's talk about A.G. Whitaker. He's the acting attorney general. According to people on the left side of the political aisle, not only is he a horrible person and probably out to you know do some really terrible misdeeds in that position, he can't be there because it's unconstitutional. How much of that is true? Right. Well, for some reason, the people on the left had no problem when Attorney General, General Eric Holder was declared to be in contempt of Congress. And you didn't see the outrage and the outcry about that, which had to go, do with making sure that Congress was informed so that they could perform their oversight duties over the Attorney General and the programs of the Department of Justice. So I think you can fairly say that this is an attempt, particularly by the left, to try and politicize the uh, leadership of the Department of Justice. And it's a continuation of this attempt to try to say that the Trump campaign colluded in Russia with Russia to steal the election from Hillary Clinton. And yet there has been no evidence of that. If you look at all of the people that have been investigated and those who have come before the court and pled guilty, none of it implicated the Trump campaign itself. So this is yet another attempt to try and put pressure on the Trump administration by calling into question the competency and the integrity of the officials at the Department of Justice. 
It is. And I, I so I, I spent some time kind of debating this with a couple of Democrats on cable news, and it became clear to me from the comments they and the hosts were making that the problem with A.G. Whitaker, the problem with uh, then Attorney General Sessions was not so much that there were anything really untoward about them. It was the issue that their oversight might impede Mueller from running amok with the investigation, which I believe he's under a lot of pressure to do that from Democrats behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about the vast resources of the federal government that have been afforded to Robert Mueller and the extensive, you know, how many months we've gone on with this investigation. And the idea that, uh, you know, President Trump could have fired Jeff Sessions a long time ago. There are many things that he could have done with clear executive power to try and uh, rein this investigation in. But he has tried as best he can, except with regards to bully, bully pulpit. He has definitely used his ability on Twitter and in speeches that he's given to cast doubt on what he sees as a witch hunt. But in terms of the actual process of the investigation, uh, he has relied on his attorneys to make sure that those process issues are resolved and looked at carefully, and he's let the investigation go on. So any Democrats who are out there trying to say that this is an attempt to, to thwart the investigation couldn't be further from the truth. And and so I just 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 want to be as clear as possible here. The oversight that Jeff Sessions would have provided, because I believe Jeff Sessions to be a man of integrity, yes, would have been simply to make sure that whatever the investigation entailed, it was being done in an impartial manner with oversight. That that is all the oversight that the attorney general can provide to the special prosecutor. It's it's not a uh, it's not him being involved in every decision or being present for every interview. It's simply oversight. Right. And as you know, Jeff Sessions had recused himself, which is why we had Robert Robert Mueller in the first place. And that was a concern that it could kind of run amok, become this fishing expedition. But the oversight the people who are really upset about this week that Jeff Sessions is not uh, going to remain on as attorney general, they are the same people months ago who were calling for attorney general Sessions to step down. So I think that just gives even more evidence that this is all political posturing and not really a concern that the truth be found out and that the uh, foundations of our legal system be observed and that there's a fair and independent process. And I think it kind of underscores the evidence for that point. It does. I, the, the more we look at it, the more we focus on what's happening here. And if we just listen to what they're saying, it's really, it boils down to them saying, we require no over, oversight from anyone who isn't a Democrat. And they, they <laughs> constantly trumpet this thing with uh, Mueller as a Republican. But I, I just, you know what, Gail... Can we just for five seconds, let's just take a moment and ponder what a Republican is, what it looks like. It's not it's not John McCain. It's not it's not Jeff Flake. It's I mean, I, I know people get mad at me. And if you know, if you do, God bless you. It's Friday. you got a whole weekend to get over it. But come on. I mean, so I have this idea in my mind about a Republican Party platform and that people who agree with most of that 
can call themselves Republicans. And people who routinely work against that platform are not Republicans. And so I expect Mueller, who isn't a politician, he has a different role to play. But in right. calling him a Republican, it doesn't really make me comfortable with the work he's doing because it's the, it's the work he's doing that I'm concerned with. I could He could call himself a Mars-publican. He could be anything he wants. I just want to know that he's doing this investigation for the right reasons and that he's not being pressured by Democrats to get an outcome that may or may not be legitimate. And and when they talk about his tax returns and looking into his private business dealings and things like that, that doesn't sound like Russian collusion to me. No, and I think you raise a really important point. When the left attacks President Trump about this investigation, they like to point out Bob Mueller is a Republican. He was a Bush appointee and kind of give his bona fides for everything that associates him with the right, but they don't realize that that is not significant to people who think that law enforcement should not be based on whether you are part of one political party or another political party. These folks are supposed to be objective. They are supposed to be going in there, ferreting out the evidence. If there's a case, they make a case. They follow all of the principles of fair, fair play and justice that we have in our country, we had Veterans Day this week, and we have had so many people die to preserve those types of principles. And so that, I think that is an excellent point you raised, that when people say, oh, Bob Mueller is Republican, that's a complete distraction from the entire issue. If he's a Republican, he's still required to do things the proper way. And mm-hmm. saying that he's a Republican, and that somehow gives Donald Trump an out because he's more likely to be more uh, sympathetic to President Trump. No conservative, no Republican would want that. They want someone who's objective and who follows the law. I mean, honestly, I would prefer that this investigation by the special prosecutor be run by someone who is the kind of person almost like Megyn Kelly was before she left Fox News, where we just we just didn't know who she was. We did not know what her right. political leanings were. And, and she's an attorney. So, I mean, I know it's not a perfect apples to apples comparison, but she's one of the few people in the public sphere that we had no idea what her politics were. And that's right. something for her to work at Fox News and be as successful as she was and for us not to know. I would prefer to know that a person, maybe I find out by accident that the person is a a Democrat, a hardcore Democrat, but that in their professional life, because they're in the legal profession and, and, you know, criminal justice, the attorney general, chief law enforcement officer of the land, I prefer that person, if they were a Democrat, Republican, politically agnostic, that it be that, that I would look at that person and say, their history of investigation shows that they are doggedly committed to the truth and to meeting out justice. And so if you're in the wrongdoing and, th- and you're in their crosshairs, you should be afraid, not because of your political aspirations or, or any of that, but because this person, if you've done th- wrong things, they're going to dig it out and they're going to prosecute you. I would prefer that the special prosecutor be that person because I don't want America led by a person who has done wrong things and is getting away with it. That's the reason I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I don't even think Absolutely. Democrats understand that. Like, I honestly don't believe. Right. Gail, you and I are sitting here and I would prefer to see an investigation that showed wrongdoing. I don't care who the president is than to leave the president there and have them getting away with whatever 
but it still has to be within the scope of the investigation. They're not saying we didn't open an investigation into his finances or his tax returns. The investigation is supposed to be about him colluding with the Russians. Absolutely. And that's why we call it a fishing expedition. Those types of investigations where they bring everything, including the kitchen sink, into the investigation is really just determined on the result. They're trying to get a particular outcome. And I think you raised a great example. Think of the judge that just ruled in the uh, Acosta CNN Oh, thank you. I was going to ask you about that. Yes, please. Yes. Tell us and the he truth. He was a Donald Trump appointee, and he essentially has ruled on a, on a temporary basis against the White House. And that is the kind of judge that Donald Trump has nominated to the bench, that they're going to put their personal policy preferences aside. They're going to put their politics aside. Just like you were saying, if, if someone's a hardcore Democrat and in charge of an investigation or in charge of sitting on a bench and deciding these issues, they need to follow the law. You should not know what their politics are based on the rulings or the results of their investigation. They should be above those kind of maneuverings. Otherwise, you end up doing politics through lawfare instead of the way that we in America like our politics through elections and through mm -hmm. our system of separation of powers, and checks and balances. So with that case, we don't know ultimately what the final result of the Acosta CNN litigation is going to be, but how noteworthy that one of President Trump's judicial nominees in, in an opportunity to you know decide this case ruled against the White House. So I think that speaks volumes about the kind of judges that uh, the Trump administration is putting forward for the Senate to, to consider. And I think the Senate should continue confirming these judges because they are fair, independent and impartial. OK, so I I can't disagree with you, Gail, but I do disagree with this idea that Jim Acosta is owed access to the White House. Can you. Can you explain the ruling that came down? Because I just don't understand why an organization that has 50 hard passes can't send someone else in Acosta's <laughs> place, right? Like, how did right. the, the judge... Right, so yeah. reasonable. That's like a common sense answer that I think most people would agree with. Uh, definitely, when you look at the technicalities of the law, there are arguments that are made both ways. And I think Sarah Sanders said today that they're going to continue to push this. They're not... The White House is not giving up on this, so we don't know what the ultimate result is going to be. Um, uh, someone was pointing out that Helen Thomas, when she was a correspondent at the White House, went for three years without being called on. I think it was by President Bush. Maybe it was President mm. Obama. But uh, <laughs> certainly, even if you're required to have access to sit in that room, the president is not under any obligation to call on you and answer your questions. And certainly... Acosta has uh, distinguished himself with what I would say is ridiculous behavior, unbecoming of a human being, let alone a journalist. Uh, mm. But I think this is one thing you can count on from this White House. They're not going to back down. They're not going to give up the um, just concede defeat and allow him to behave the way that he wants to continue to behave. So I don't think you're going to see the last of this issue. Okay, so you covered a lot there, Gail, and I totally agree with you, but this is Jim Acosta we're talking about here. So if it were you, Gail Trotter, intrepid reporter, CNN, you were in there, 
and you didn't get called on, you would not stand up and say, excuse me, but I haven't been called on. But Jim Acosta <laughs> has done that. If it were Stacy, right. intrepid reporter for CNN, and I didn't get called on for a month, let alone years like she did, <laughs> I would not stand up and say, "Won't you, why don't you admit right now from where you're standing, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that you have shame for working for Donald Trump. Jim Acosta has done that. I don't see how he gets back in that room and doesn't get called on and doesn't still make this entire press briefing about him. And I, I, I've i already called it out before you came on. I believe they should station two Capitol Police armed next to him and he should not be able to just roam around. He should be escorted in every space in the, in the White House. Yeah, that might be a better fight than with the beautiful intern that he swiped her hand away mm-hmm. as she was trying to reclaim the microphone yeah. from him. What kind of a gentleman acts that way? I, Such a you know, bad this look. Isn't Afghanistan where you're trying to interview, you know, the <laughs> Taliban or something. I mean, I, I just watched that video and I was just astonished by it his was behavior. Just- I couldn't believe it. I watched it live. I was like, you know, it's on the live stream. And, and so I'm watching the live stream. You know, it's on your laptop. So you're watching it and you're kind of like going back and forth between other windows. And I had picked up my pen to make a note to myself. Like, I believe I was making a little grocery list. And I glanced over and I saw that he was like kind of yelling at the president. And I put the pen down and I just got, you know how you just get engrossed? And I, yeah. I, he, they were engaging each other, and the president turned away from the podium and began to pace. And I was like, "This thing might come to blows." I'm, <laughs> I'm like, and then at the that moment where he said, "You're done. Sit down. You're a horrible person." I thought, "Oh no! Like this is this is just it's spitting out of control." And then the woman, the the intern, yeah. pops up, and I'm like, "Oh good, she'll take the mic. This will end it." Because I'm right. just like, end this thing. She reaches for it and he's just like gripping it. And I was like, he's not going to, he's not, he's not. She reaches again. He, he kind of <laughs> deflects. I was like, did he really just, I mean, he didn't hit her, but he just brought his arm down and then she moved her arm out of the way. And I, and it would have been such a good moment for a flop. I already talked about this. Yes. She should have flopped Absolutely. over. Yes. You, and you've seen the videos. They're so good. If, if listeners, if you've never seen a flop video for soccer players, you're missing out. If you want to giggle the whole afternoon away, wait till after the show, obviously, then go to YouTube and type in soccer flops and you will see soccer players. They'll just get slightly brushed by another player and they toss their body and they <laughs> flop over like rag dolls. And I think she should have, um, that's what she should have done. His arm should have come down and she should have uttered just the teensiest little, oh, and then flopped. And when I you do it that. on the basketball that's court, you get a foul. She could have just doubled down and made sure yeah. she took it from him. Yeah, but, yeah. Know, well, she could we have grabbed have it and as she flopped over, yes, then he would have been shocked and she would have had it in her hand <laughs> and then she would have flopped down and she would have had the mic and then everyone in the room would have jumped up like, what? It's a missed opportunity. I like your style, Stacey. <laughs> I'm just saying. I wanted to see something. Well, I part of me, just a teensy part of me, wanted the president to deck him. But I know that's never <laughs> going to happen. You know, but I just want some justice, some mob justice. Yes. Gail yes, Trotter. Definitely don't deck him. But, you we know, love like having plot. you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, have a great weekend oh, and great happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. <laughs>
out of all the people in the world, we've all done or will do the following. Be birthed into this earth, grow, go to school, maybe go to college, get married, have kids, grow old, and die. Doesn't sound too eventful when put in that perspective. For many, the thought of discipling someone is foreign from the mind and not even on the to-do list. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus tells us to go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A disciple is more than a student. He or she is a follower of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things in this world, but there's nothing like being a Christian. It's a life filled with adventures. Receiving an education, vacationing, marriage, having kids are good, but there's nothing like taking the time to nourish someone in God's word so that they can be a force to be reckoned with. That is priceless. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. I'm not so certain we have as much time as many of us think. It's high time for the body of Christ to return with a fire lit up under us to proclaim the truth of God's word, to proclaim the truth of sin and repentance and not coming from a high lofty position, but telling the truth as such were some of us. We have to do that. We have to. But what happens is, and I, I call this first world problems, uh, we have this epidemic of churchianity in America to where we are far more accepting and far more willing to embrace the trappings of church life, even if they're void of the presence and power and fire of Christ. And I would say to you, just as the Bible says, that we can have a form of godliness while simultaneously at the exact same time deny the very power of the gospel. Of the gospel. Of the gospel. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on Urban Family Talk. Fox on Faith with Lauren Green. And I think the essence of being a good human being is to be a good ancestor while you're alive. For filmmaker Aaron Wolf, his new film, Restoring Tomorrow, chronicles the $150 million restoration of the historic Wilshire Boulevard Synagogue in Los Angeles. Built in the 1920s by Hollywood elites like Louis B. Mayer and the Warner Brothers, it fell into disrepair during the tumultuous decades of cultural and social change. Its physical condition, an outward sign of the spiritual decline which Wolf realized he himself embodied. I think it's a generational problem, and that's why I think this film and my journey serves as this microcosm. The film airs at selected theaters. Wolf plans to donate his proceeds to all victims of the recent shootings in Pittsburgh and Thousand Oaks, California. Younger people are starting to brand religious institutions with extremism. That's not the case. Extremism is not what religious institutions, what faith is all about. For Fox on Faith, Lauren Green, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. He is an embarrassment, and that's one of the reasons that the president decided to take the swift action that he did. Jim Acosta made that press conference a travesty, and he made it about himself. It was his ego-driven speech to the president. Uh, not a question, not a question, but a speech. This, the CNN has 50 hard passes, 50, more than anybody else. So they don't they have the ability to have people there covering this president more and people. asking questions. OK, that's David Bossy. He's an uh, he's an author and frequently on the shows commentating. And he was talking about CNN suing to get Acosta's hard pass back being a publicity stunt. Now, we've since seen the judge rule in this case that the, the hard pass must be restored. 
But we don't know what the judge is actually going to rule in the the final adjudication of this thing. So before we get to calls, I want to get into Psalm 25, 4, which is our daily confession. I ran long in the first segment, didn't get it done. So that is my fault. I always intend on having our daily confession in the first segment. Um, It's a great way to start the show out. So I'm going to do that. The call lines are open at 866-963-2037-866-963-2037-866-963-2037. And we are uh, looking today at, and this is just, I love, I love it when a daily confession kind of dovetails in with something that is going on. Psalm 25.4. It says, show me your ways, Lord, teach me your paths. That's the New International Version. If you go down to um, the, let me see if I can find the King James here. Uh, King James 2000, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. And so this is, this is something that we have to be kind of praying ourselves, just putting it out there saying, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. When we say that, that it's, it's almost like the power up button on the, uh, the, the Mario Kart or the Mario games where you're playing the video game and you hit a, a triangle that glows or you hit some kind of special feature and then your character gets supercharged. This is where we can ask the Lord to supercharge our walk with him, our faith, our, 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 everything that we experience in God by saying, please show me your ways, teach me your past. The, the prayer itself, Psalm 25, four, that verse, that specific verse, basically you're humbly yielding yourself to God because it's a choice, right? God does not want automatons or, you know, Stepford people. He doesn't force us to have a relationship with him. He gives us the choice. And then we get to engage. We get to say, you know what? I'm, I'm just a Sunday church person. I mean, how many of those people do we know? And God bless you. If that's where you are, we got to start somewhere. But when you meet someone who is the online social media acronym is WOG, woman of God. I like to, to use that one. And men of God too, you, you meet them. There's something different you sense immediately. And I am not talking about churchianity and, you know, people who speak churchies and all. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a true person of faith that when you encounter them, you know something different from the outset. But as you get to know them a little more, you realize that they have a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're in a position where you need someone to lock arms, take your hands and pray with you about an issue, this is a person you want on your list because you want to be able to call them and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. Can we pray? And without any questions, they don't need details. They're not looking for something to share with their friends at lunch. They just want to pray with you because you ask them to, and you can feel that it's a strength that comes from continually staying in connection with God in prayer that makes you, it's, it's the true epitome of a prayer warrior, but it has to begin somewhere. And it, I believe that it begins with often seeking the Lord in prayer and saying, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Because his mind is not like our mind. His mind is higher than our mind. He, his ways are not our ways. We don't naturally incline ourselves to humility and peacemaking and loving our neighbor. That is not our natural state in, in our human bodies here that we're this 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 life we're walking out but when we start off there show me your ways lord teach me your paths and we start putting that as a mantra to him and really just laying yourself out there some some of what you'll experience is you'll have the enemy come at you with some fear well if you say that he's going to tell you to go be a missionary in africa more than likely that's not what's going to happen what he's going to say is you you're already in the mission field 
The mission field is here, right here, right now in this country. It's your friends, family, and neighbors. It's your children, your husband, your wife. It's, it's the, the place where you already are. Plenty of people are called to be missionaries. We see them go out into the field. They are, sometimes are martyred. But that is not the fear that should, you, when you hear that, that's a trick of the enemy. Squash it. That is not what God has for you. What God has for you is a deeper, closer relationship and walk with him in which he shows you things that he can't show to you unless you're willing to say, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. So uh, that's it. That's the daily confession for today. Psalm 25, four, take it, use it, pray it and um, connect with him. And right before we go to the phones, I just want to say really quickly, this is national collection week for Operation Christmas Child. Samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. Find the collection site near you. Participate in spreading the gospel through Christmas gifts. These are not expensive things, but they mean so much to the kids who get them around the world. And it's a wonderful way to uh, give something back during Christmas. And it's easy and it's fun. And uh, the the impact goes on into eternity. So wonderful uh, opportunity, National Collection Week. Um, it's actually going on until the 19th, samaritanspurse.org slash OCC, 5,000 collection centers, one near you. Check it out. All right, let's go to the phones. We have Jacob in Alabama. Jacob, thank you for calling in today. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you and happy Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Amen. Turkey yeah, I got, a, um, I got a, a thing here. Uh, I just got in and uh, they kind of told me to send these, these few little uh uh, scriptures to you. But now I'm a, he, show, he showed me 25, um, Proverbs 25, which is like um, 5, 6, and 7. Okay. He said, take away, take away the wicked from before the king, which we would say the president, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, which is what Jim Acosta did. Mm. Do not stand in the face of great men. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should put you put lower in the presence of the prince, whom your eyes have seen. And the next one says, not go hastily to court. But what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Mm-mm. Come on now, okay. Jacob. <laughs> here's, here's the next one. And now, here's, now, okay, now we know what happened with Avenatti and everybody that comes against uh, President Trump. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Here's 24-17. On Proverbs, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Let the Lord see it, and it displeases him, and he turns his wrath away from him. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked. For there will be no prospect for the evil man, the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Now you see what happened to Avenatti. Mm-hmm. You see what happened to the, uh, the lady who was a pornography person. Mm-hmm. Everybody that comes against him, because God puts up presidents, he puts up prime prime ministers, and he sits them down. If you put them up and they come against him, watch what happens, and you haven't seen anything yet. When you Not see yet. what happens with the Clintons, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he told me to tell you this. When you get home, and you're going to be on fire next week, read... Um, Psalm 73, and you'll see exactly what's going to happen to them. Okay, I wrote it down. Psalm 73. Jacob, fantastic as always. I love it when you call into the show. 
Um, happy Thanksgiving to you. And thank you for calling in today. All right. So we have, oh, good. We still have more time. Let's go to Daniel in Kentucky. Daniel, thank you for calling in today. Happy Friday. Uh, hello, Stacy. Uh, enjoy your show. Uh, God thank bless you, you sister. Uh, thank it, you. It's great to uh, speak with you. Um, let's see. Yes, we have difficult times ahead. Just as Second um, uh, Timothy uh, chapter three uh, tell us, uh, well, actually, a lot of the Bible, honestly, uh, you know, when we have the eyes to see, you know, we can we can we can mm-hmm. see so much. But yes, we are uh, going to have very difficult times ahead. Uh, the uh, what I see is major concerns and the lack of discipline in the home, which I, I understand that there are, you know, like I, I love the, uh, Ben Carson. Uh, he he had a uh, hard time, so you know, single mom, uh, single parent, you know, uh, uh, brought him up, him in the same way. And he he turned out great. He, his mind is great. You're a neurosurgeon. Uh, I'm I'm very uh, uh, glad to uh, to. Uh, you know, push any of his books. Uh, he, you know, for for young people, uh, I'd like they read more instead of playing games as much. Oh yeah, I absolutely. I understand. Uh, when I was growing up, we had some. Uh, uh, well, when we were real young, Atari. <laughs> but um, you know, our parents got onto us that oh, you know, and and of course we still love to play outside uh, most of the time. And but if it snowed, we had to be in. But. Uh, Anyway, what I was going to say, the lack of discipline, uh, the disrespecting of authority is the main thing, like the Jim Acosta thing. I am mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. If what's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Just like the Bible says, right now they're calling uh, right wrong, and they're calling wrong, you know, Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Just like the Bible says they will in the in the end days. And uh, Daniel, thank you so much for calling. I'm I'm I gotta I gotta say. One thing you said that sticks out to me is that um, we see a lot of this disrespect and we see it online and social media. We see it on websites. Like if you go to Live Leak, you can find all these videos. If you got to go to World Star Hip Hop, you see a lot of people doing this kind of stuff. But then what you also see is that it's not just strictly the purview of people who come from, quote unquote, the other side of the tracks or broken homes or things like that. I've met plenty of kids who are extremely respectful and just beautifully turned out children who come from single parent homes. And I've met plenty of kids who have a mom and a dad at home who are the parents just are sweet as they can be. And the kids just have the mouths on them like you're like, whoa, what is who's whose child is this again? This can't be your child. So it is really about what parents do with their kids, what they're willing to tolerate and whether or not they're willing to, to mete out any punishment. But Jim Acosta is a special case because he has been trained to behave this way by his employer. He's permitted to behave this way. He's, he's encouraged to behave this way because CNN has a ratings issue. If they weren't paying to be in airports in America, they estimate their airport audience as of like 2013 was 280 million people. Without those 280 million people, imagine what their ratings would be. That is why it's so important for us to begin to approach our local municipal airports and say, we don't want to listen to CNN when we're in, in the airport. We're tired of listening to it. We're, we're exhausted by the prospect of constantly being assaulted by what is now just opinion coverage 24-7. And it should be, we're paying for the tickets. We're paying the taxes that help the airport to stay in business. We should have a right not to listen to CNN at the airport. It all, it all goes back to what we're willing to tolerate. So uh, excellent call. We have time for just one more. Nellie in Arkansas. 
Thank you so much. Hi. Um, I just want to say with this Acosta uh, situation and with any reporter at one of the news conferences, if they won't sit down and be quiet, if when the president says that's it and tries to call him someone else and they refuse, he should just turn around and walk out of the room and that's the end. Instead of engaging in any kind of an argument, just turn around, put the microphone down and leave. And that's it. He doesn't come back in. And if he did that often enough, um, that would make a statement to the reporters. Well, and wouldn't the other reporters just be so enraged by the fact that they were after him and he ends the press conference every time he asks a question and he won't give the mic up, the press conference is over? Wouldn't that make the other reporters rein him in? Imagine how upset they would be if they didn't get to ask a question because he constantly did that. Because he, exactly. And then it wouldn't be an argument. He would be the, the he, he would just leave the room. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders, too. Right. Yeah. And and he would pre, he would preserve his dignity. And he would just because he doesn't have to give those news conferences. According to what I'm hearing, that's not anything he has to do. And so it would end it right there. Not on camera briefings. He doesn't have to do press conferences at all. Um, uh, President Obama went for long periods of time without doing it. Nellie uh, in Arkansas, thank you so much for calling the show. Um, I She makes a good point. And, and so this is how awesome it is when we have like a caller like Nellie call in with something that is such a foundational bedrock principle. And I'm going to, you know, go back to when I was younger and my mom actually taught this to my sister and I that I remember her saying I was I was telling her uh, I was in middle school and I was telling her about how at lunchtime, sometimes some of the kids would go up to another kid and, you know, it would be one on one or it'd be two on one and they would begin to insult that kid. And, you know, the kid would just have to stand there and take it or sit there and take it. And my mom said, why? And I said, why what? And she said, why does the kid have to sit there and take it? And I said, I don't know. I, and she said, no one has to sit there and take it. You get up and walk away. Pick up your tray, walk away. And I said, oh. She said, did it ever occur to you that you don't, you're not required to talk to someone? And I, re- I remember thinking as a middle schooler, I was like, whoa, she's right. And I remember going up to the kid the next day, not someone I knew super well, but it was happening. It, it happened a few times. And I said, why don't you just get up and walk away? And the kid looked at me and said, I don't know, and then did it. These are the kind of things that we used to teach our kids. We used to we used to really kind of drum, drum into them because we didn't accept poor public behavior. We didn't accept it. We shouldn't accept it now. I hear the music. It's Friday. God bless you. Get in the pew on Saturday and Sunday. One of those days. Find some time for the Lord and your family. Unplug. God bless you from the heartland. OneNewsNow.com. News and information up next. Keep it.